Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Southwest Florida, welcome to the Larry Timko Show on 1070 The Zone, where Charlotte County comes to play. Broadcasting from our Howard's Pool World studio, where they didn't invent pool service, they perfected it. Phone lines are open today, 941-206-1070. If you're listening on your iHeartRadio app, 800-668-1070 will get you into the studio. Ride in solo today. Bill Siebert will be joining me in studio tomorrow, along with John Vitas of the Charlotte Stone Crabs. And Ben Lindbergh will be calling in tomorrow as well. He has a new book that he co-wrote with Travis Sawchick called The MVP Machine, how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. And according to Nate Silver of SI.com, read it and you won't think about baseball in quite the same way again. So that's tomorrow. Today, though, we're going to be talking about stuff that's been dwelling on my mind over the weekend The Tampa Bay Rays possibly splitting time in Montreal. Does that mean I got to refresh it up my French? Parlez-vous français? Oh, je m'appelle comme ci, comme ça. I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll discuss that. We'll also talk winners and losers from the NBA draft since I've actually had a weekend to sit there and dwell on that. And for fun, we'll talk about MLB trades that never were consummated, that never happened. They fell through for one reason or another. It's a fun list. We'll talk about that, too. And if we've got time at the end of the show, we'll see if there's anybody in the AFC that can actually dethrone the New England Patriots this year. (laughs) We'll see. Meantime, though, Tampa Bay Rays. By now, I'm sure you're well aware that Major League Baseball gave the Tampa Bay Rays the go-ahead to go ahead and explore playing a divided home schedule between St. Petersburg and Montreal. This plan to me is, 
I don't know. I think it's crazy. <laughs> Silly. I don't know. You might think it might be a little ambitious, but I, I don't know. Uh, there's no details of the overall plan that are set in stone yet, but the basic framework is that the Rays will spend the first two and a half months or so of the season here in St. Pete playing, and then that's about 35 of their 81 home games here in Tampa, and then they will move north by early June, maybe early July by the All-Star break and finish their schedule in Montreal. I don't like that, first of all, because what if the Rays are in a pennant race? At, you know, Baseball in August and September is exciting, and the fact that it won't be here in Tampa to be up in Montreal instead, it's crazy. Now, the Rays can pay the players for their inconvenience, kind of like their stipends they get for taking international trips. It's part of the compensation package that could also offset other issues, such as taxes, the currency exchange, though they're getting paid in U.S. dollars, and, and family travel costs are factored in this too. But... The big thing is legal hurdles. First of all, the major number one legal hurdle that the Tampa Bay Rays have to jump through here is the team's use agreement with the city of St. Petersburg. It doesn't allow the team to play in another city. The Rays, unlike most other teams, are not a tenant. At least technically, on paper, the Tampa Bay Rays are not a tenant. They are legally a licensed Uh, the Rays never signed a traditional lease. What they did is they signed a use agreement, which to say, according to, okay, I'm going to get legal here on you, according to these terms. It's an onerous agreement that strongly favors St. Petersburg. A use agreement is a stark contrast to a traditional lease, where a tenant typically owes the landlord what's left on that lease after breaking it. As for sharing games with Montreal, The use agreement at Section 2.04 expressly provides that the Rays must, and I'm underlining and emphasizing must, play all its home games at Tropicana Field unless St. Petersburg consent to the Rays playing some of its games somewhere else. That's major. The difference between a lease and a use agreement is a major factor. Consider a lease what you sign when you rent an apartment. And you use an agreement when you agree to when you buy a movie, you know, same thing when you buy a movie ticket. The lease usually gives you exclusive rights to possession of the apartment. And the landlord has rights to enter from time to time to fix things or check on things, you know, do your yearly expression expression when the lease, you know, that's part of the lease, you know. But when you simply agree to use the premises, you're allowed limited non-exclusive rights to use the discretion of the licensor, which is why a theater can throw you out for a whole for the you know for any reason it wants to. If you're making a loud scene, boom, they can throw you out. The Rays use agreement says, in no uncertain terms, that the team is bound to Tropicana Field through 2027. Uh, let's see. There's a brief four sentence section that is known as exclusive dealings. It's a portion of the stadium use agreement between the Rays and St. Petersburg. In other words. It is a lock keeping the Rays inside Tropicana Field till 2027. Uh, ah, let's see. <laughs> the clause essentially forbids the Rays from negotiating to play in any other stadium other than Tropicana Field before 2027, and any violation would result in what they quote irre- irreparable harms and damages. Uh, this is a deal they agreed back to in 1997. But the use agreement isn't the only problem. Back in 2016, the team also signed this Memorandum of Understanding with St. Petersburg. A Memorandum of Understanding. It addressed the team's efforts to find and fund a new stadium. 
The memorandum of understanding only allowed the team to seek a new stadium site in two Florida cities, Pinellas and Hillsboro. Wow. Also prohibited the team from playing its home games anywhere else than Tropicana Field, which the MOU calls in this document the Dome, until after 2027. So even if the Rays got a new stadium built in Hillsboro and is ready to go in 2025, St. Pete would still keep the Rays at Tropicana Field till 2027. And this further bars the team from even negotiating to play its games elsewhere until then. And then paragraph 6 on page 3 of this agreement allows the team to break the agreement only and only. Okay, so it does. They can play only if it finds a stadium site in Pinellas or Hillsboro. Montreal is not mentioned in this document whatsoever. Just Pinellas and Hillsboro. So if they do get a new stadium built by 2025, St. Pete will allow them to break the lease to play in Pinellas or Hillborough only. Okay, and now on page 8 of this agreement, St. Petersburg is given the right to obtain a court order requiring the team to play in Tropicana Field if the Rays breach this agreement and start playing their home games elsewhere. Okay, so simply put, if the Rays started playing home games in Montreal, the city could sue them and the team will most likely lose. And if the team even started to negotiate with Montreal, the city could still sue them. And according to this contract, the team would most likely lose. So it's hard to understand what Major League Baseball is doing here by granting permission for the team to look at Montreal. I don't get this. I mean, Major League Baseball can give the Rays permission a thousand times over, and it doesn't change the fact that both the user agreement and this 2016 MOU unequivocally bars the race from negotiating with Montreal or any other team until 2027. So we still have eight years of Tampa Bay Rays baseball before they can even think about playing home games or anywhere else unless the Rays want to get sued and pay a substantial amount of money. Now, don't get me wrong. All agreements are negotiable. It's possible St. Petersburg, in theory, could modify this agreement and allow a two-city arrangement. But (laughs) from what I'm reading and from what I'm hearing on the air from up in Tampa on the news and from what the mayor says, it's not going to happen. In fact, right right after the news broke, uh, Major League's executive council granted permission for the Rays to pursue blah, blah, blah. But St. Petersburg, Florida Mayor Rick Kreisman said he would not grant the team permission to discuss any proposal with Montreal. The Rays lease with Tropicana Field runs through 2027, and it's he's not it's not going to happen. And then he even had a press conference to make it crystal clear that the Rays cannot explore playing any Major League Baseball games in Montreal or anywhere else for that matter prior to 2028 without reaching a formal memorandum of understanding with the city of St. Petersburg. And he said there's no intention of bringing this two-city idea to our city council to consider. It's not even it's not even on the agenda, according to the St. Petersburg mayor. And why should it be? That's an ironclad clause in that contract. The Rays kind of screwed themselves back in 98 and then again in 2016. But I, so it doesn't make any sense for me for Major League Baseball to say, go ahead and explore this, unless Major League Baseball is willing to pay the court costs and whatever it's going to cost the Tampa Bay Rays if they get sued by the city of St. Petersburg. And honestly, it was, I'm, I'm, that's 60 million starters easily. I mean, they, the Rays easily generate $25, 35000000 million a year in revenue to the St. Pete area, parking, food, whatnot, concessions, just to the local economy. 
So, you know, break the lease, I can see them at a starting point starting at $60 million, And that's a lot of money. I, there's no way the Rays are going to Montreal. This is a smokescreen to kickstart a, a stadium here in Tampa. It's the only way it's going to happen. That or we're losing the Rays. But if we, when we lose the Rays, it's not going to happen for eight, nine years, at least, minimum. They can't even negotiate until 2027. You know, or unless, I mean, yeah, there's probably some backdoor deals going on. I w- that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. But I was worried about this whole Montreal thing. I really was. But now the more that I dive into it, I just think it's just, it's a ploy to get St. Petersburg to blow up that stadium and get Hillsborough or Tampa or somewhere in that surrounding area to build us a new stadium. That's the only reasonable solution here. It's the only legal solution they can come up with here. They're, you know, it's, it's going to cost them tons and tons of money that Stu Steinberg obviously doesn't want to spend because he's trying to get taxpayer money. You know, I personally like the whole publicly funded idea that we came up with Friday. You know, the Giants did it in San Francisco. Look at Levi Stadium in San Francisco. That is owned privately, you know, by the Giants and the 49ers. And what they do is they split the cost between them, but they get all the revenue. They, they're, and they're reaping all the wards. They get all the parking uh, concessions. They get all the, the food vending concessions. You know, they built little restaurants and a little shopping mall right around Levi Stadium. That's part of the stadium. They get all those concessions. You know, so they're making money hand over fist at Levi Stadium, and they don't have to pay a single nickel back to the city. You know, that's the problem. You know, if taxpayer taxpayer funded money, you, you know, taxpayer the city expects to get money kicked back from that stadium. Not in San Francisco because you know San Francisco has nothing to do with that stadium. So now they can book concerts, they can book conventions, and they reap all the rewards. Same thing in Texas with Dallas. Except the only difference between Levi Stadium and Jerry Jones Stadium is Jerry did manage to get Arlington to kick up some money for that stadium. <laughs> and it's still his. It, you know, he, he's got to pay a little tax revenue at the end, but he's still, you know, the Cotton Bowl, all those bowl games, the, the conventions, the Republican National Conventions, all that stuff. That's all Jerry Jones, man. And he's making the money doing it, too. So that's why I think Stu Steinberg, if he was smart, publicly fund something in Tampa be perfect. You know, this is, a, you know, the Republican National Convention would always be here in Tampa if they built something like that. And I loved what I saw as far as the plans go, as far as the Ybor City plans are concerned. I think parking might be a little bit of a problem. But other than that, man, it looks beautiful. And you're trying to tell me. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That people won't go to see the Tampa Bay Rays. We already broke it down why no one's going to the games. They're the third highest rated team in Major League Baseball when it comes to TV viewership and when it comes to radio listenership. They're the third highest rated. They're, that's crazy. You know, only the Yankees and the Cubs are ahead of them. All right, but as far as Red Sox are concerned, more people watch the Tampa Bay Rays on TV than they do the Boston Red Sox. All right, same thing with the L.A. Dodgers, Houston Astros. What other big market team you can think of? The Rays are number three. All right, so if you build it, they will come. The problem with the Dome, it's in a horrible part of town. It's hard to get to. All right, it's in St. Pete. 
For us, it's not as bad because I'm coming from the south. You know, going over the Skyway Bridge can be a little bit of a hassle. But if you're coming from Tampa, the other side, that Howard Franklin between 5 and 7 o'clock is a horrible mess. Why would you, you know, you're stuck in traffic for two hours. Why would you want to go to a game? By the time you get there, it's 9 o'clock, you know, for a 7 o'clock start. So you got to change the location. And it, and there's no, no matter how much money Stu Steinberg and the Tampa Bay Rays dump into the dome. It's there's nothing they can do to make it better. Yeah, they added the pretty lights on top of this, you know, a dome, you know, so now it's red and blue and white, whatever. It's still an ugly stadium as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've been to the Sky Dome, I've been to Turner Field, the Atlanta Braves. I've been to some really nice stadiums. The Trop, I, I've been to minor league stadiums that are nicer than the Trop. I'd rather go watch a game at Charlotte Sports Park than I would rather go to the Trop in the dome. The only thing I do like about the dome. It's air conditioned, you know, so it's not 110 degrees and my seat's not burning me, giving me third degree burns. That's the only thing I like about the trop. You know, so ah, a new stadium's got to be in the works. And but I don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, they're not going to Montreal. I think it's just a ploy by Major League Baseball to kickstart something here in Tampa Bay. But they got a lease and it's an ironclad lease that simply states that the Rays are not allowed to even negotiate, let alone play a home game somewhere else. So I think it's end of discussion. And I don't know what Major League Baseball was thinking, but Tampa Bay ain't going nowhere, at least not for the next eight years as far as I'm concerned. All right, let's take our first break. I'm going to come back, and I want to talk about the winners and losers from the 2019 NBA draft since we didn't really get a chance to discuss it Friday. So we'll do that next on 1070 The Zone. It's the Larry Timko Show where Charlotte County comes to play. Where Charlotte County comes to play, and you're home for Tampa Bay Lightning Hockey. Stamkos across the block, high slot. Right circle, feed, pull up, score! What a passing play. Gorgeous stamp goes to Pilat. 1070, The Zone. Hear that? That's summer, and it'll be gone before you know it. So now's the perfect time for a vacation like no other. Explore Alaska aboard a Holland America Line cruise. Savor exquisite dining by renowned chefs and the best live music at sea. Plus, the most options to majestic Glacier Bay. Take your front row seat at nature's best reality show from a spacious wraparound deck. Then enjoy a variety of award-winning excursions. It's the perfect family adventure. Rated best Alaska itineraries, a Holland America Line cruise is the number one way to experience the Great Land. Explore it with those who proudly say, we are Alaska. Book now for up to 50% off you and a guest. Bring up to two additional guests for free or reduce fares. Only for a limited time. Only with Holland America Line. Call your travel advisor or visit hollandamerica.com. Based on per person discount, double occupancy, and extra guests sharing same state room. Taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply. Offer ends July 15, 2019. Ships registry, the Netherlands. Rusty Wallace is the 1989 champion. I'm Rusty Wallace, NASCAR Hall of Fame driver and MRN race analyst. We're ready to go racing here at the Chicagoland Speedway. This week, NASCAR heads to the Windy City. Elliott about a groove off the bottom of the racetrack. Where the summer sunshine heats up the track. Keselowski trying to stay with him and can't. And test the patience of NASCAR's best driver. Now Keselowski faces a challenge from Joey Logano. Take MRN with you this Sunday afternoon. It's the most exciting way to enjoy the race. Brought to you by AAA Schwartz Roofing right here on 1070 The Zone where Charlotte County comes to play. Introducing the new $5 Biggie Bag from Wendy's. It comes with a new bacon double stack made with a quarter pound of fresh never frozen beef and topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon. Plus four nuggets, fries, and a drink all for just five bucks. That's right, just $5. The new $5 Biggie Bag from Wendy's is everything you could ever want. Well, at least for lunch. Try Wendy's new $5 Biggie Bag today. 
Biggie bag includes four-piece nuggets, small fries, and a small drink. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Approximate weight before cooking. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii. Sunday, the Rays were looking for a split of their four-game series with Oakland, and this swing put the Rays ahead to stay. For the World Cup, here's a drive to center field by Darno. Back to the wall goes Loriano. He turns and watches, and it's out of here. Travis Darno to almost straightaway center field. It's a two-run homer, his fourth home run of the season, and he gives the Rays a 2-1 to lead here in the third. That came in a three-run third, and the Rays weren't done there. Now the pitch. There's a swing and a fly ball deep left. Pinder going back to the track at the wall. Scoring on the play is Zanino. Darno right behind him. Here comes Pham. He will score. It's a three-run double by Austin Meadows off the wall and left. They now lead it 8-1. to Tampa Bay eventually, with seven straight hits in the fourth, went on to win 8-2 to split the series off Monday. The Rays visit the Twins on Tuesday. With the Rays Report, I'm Neil Solons. Catch the Rays all season on the Rays Radio Network. For tickets, visit RaysBaseball.com. Where Charlotte County comes to play. 1070 The Zone. trying to be like me but you know you just can't be like me oh love on she be on the beat she be on the beat oh yeah everybody want to be like me oh yeah everybody want to be like me everybody want to be like me bust down big chains and dress fancy oh everybody want to be like me spent 2k last week on the white tee oh everybody want to be like me drop 10k on my Gucci bed sheets oh Welcome back to the Larry Timko Show on 1070 The Zone, where Charlotte County comes to play. Broadcasting from our Howard's Pool World Studios. Two phone lines are open, 206-1070. That's 941-206-1070. Or if you're listening on your iHeartRadio app at 1070thezone.com, 800-668-1070. We'll get you into the studio. Uh, the NBA draft was Thursday night in Brooklyn. Didn't really have a chance to really dive into it on Friday because you know how crazy and chaotic Fridays can be here on this show. But there is a lot of fanfare. Wide open as the league is right now, the draft itself might have been among the most important drafts in recent history. Uh, from the get-go, new general manager David Griffin and the Pelicans dominated the landscape. Atlanta Hawks showed that they might continue to be one of the most entertaining young teams to watch. And on the other end of the spectrum, kind of wondering what the plans might have been in both Phoenix and in Washington. These are among the biggest questions I had from the NBA draft. Of course, the New Orleans Pelicans. We knew that first-year general manager David Griffin was looking to trade the fourth overall pick New Orleans got from uh, the Anthony Davis trade in the Lakers. We weren't sure what kind of haul he would get. They dealt that selection to the Atlanta Hawks, along with veteran Solomon Hill, a late second-round pick in 2019, a future second-round pick for the eighth selection, the number 17 pick, the 35th pick, and a heavily protected future first-round pick. In the end, New Orleans cashed in. Uh, We all know they grabbed their number one pick, Zion Williamson, first overall. He was the consensus overall number one pick. But then it picked up a raw but talented Ford in Jackson Hayes. Nice before getting potentially the steal of the NBA draft and guard Nikhil Alexander-Walker with the 17th pick. Alexander-Walker is considered to be a solid two-way player. And if you recall, in his two seasons at Virginia Tech, 
Shot 40% from the three-point line. Nice. He can cash in from the distance. Phoenix Suns, though, I don't know what general manager James Jones is doing. He's young, but he's looking to make his mark in the desert. Unfortunately to me, his first draft didn't necessarily go according to plan. He uh, moved a solid forward in T.J. Warren and and an early first-round pick to Indiana as a cash drop, which didn't really make any sense. Uh, We figured Warren had more value than that. And then Phoenix passed up an opportunity to add one to the draft's best guards to Jarrett Culver by moving down from number 6 to number 11 to pick up Dario Saric. Uh-huh. Suns ultimately ended up drafting wing Cameron Johnson at number 11, but he drew red flags coming into the draft because he had the hip issue. Uh, most people had Johnson as a late first-round pick, maybe even a second-rounder. He's also a wing on a roster that still boasts Joseph Jackson. And, of course, Sarek. So whatever happened to getting young point guards to team up with Devin Booker, because that's what I thought was the major thing that they had going on. Uh, It's not Ty Jerome. And the addition of Aaron Baines in a trade with the Celtics made no sense either. So I don't know what Phoenix was doing. Good job for Zion Williamson, as expected. He did go number one overall to New Orleans. That was about as sure of a bet as you can get heading into this draft. Uh, he lived up to the expectations since his underclassman days in high school. Uh, however, New Orleans' decision to trade Anthony Davis less than a week before selecting Williamson m- makes this even a really bigger deal for Zion Williamson now because he's basically the face of the franchise and he's going to be the key to this young, very young, talented team in New Orleans. The way I look at it now, New Orleans is going to be a force to reckon with in the next five to six, seven years easily. They've got the next half decade covered. And Golden State, man, selecting 28th overall, lots of injuries plagued the Warriors. Uh, you know, that included lottery picks too. They, they still, they when Kevin Porter Jr. and center Bull Bull, uh, it was a dream scenario for the five-time defending Western Conference champions, but they could have had them both. But instead, the Warriors went with a play-now guard in Jordan Poole who has limitations. Poole could be a member of the rotation early on, especially with Clay Thompson recovering from a torn ACL. And he's got a decent outside shot, but Bull Bull and both Porter were available. So this seemed like a reach to me. And I did briefly discuss Friday how I thought the Minnesota Timberwolves did really well in their draft. Uh, Gerson Roses, he's the new general manager. His first draft as president of basketball operations got off to a beautiful start when he dealt the number 11th pick and that struggling forward and Daryl Sarek to Phoenix for the sixth pick. And in itself, it was a stellar move. But the decision to add Texas Tech guard Jarrett Culver at number five, when I thought he was going to go to the Celtic or to the uh, Cavaliers at five, really stands out to me. I mean, we knew that Minnesota was looking for a point guard to team up with Carl Anthony Towns. And they got a good one in the draft in Culver. Uh, the Texas Tech product averaged 18.5 points and 6.4 rebounds, shooting 46% from the field last year. Oh, man, I don't know what the Cavaliers were doing passing on him at number 5. That shocked me. And when Minnesota traded up, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who they're taking. And yes, yeah, sure enough. Uh, Celtics boggled my mind a little bit. They moved up and down the board throughout Thursday night. Uh, I guess the hope was that they'd be able to use one of their three first-round picks to get assets for down the road meaning the Celtics needed to do something in free agency to help offset those likely losses of Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. Instead, they didn't do nothing. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, they picked up a future first-round pick from Phoenix via Milwaukee, but Danny Ainge, man, he he boxed the draft in a big way. 
He went with a limited Romeo Langford at number 14 overall, which was much higher than most people had him rated on their boards. And then he selected Tennessee power forward Grant Williams at 22, which was also a reach. Not sure what's going on in Boston, but it's just weird to me because I recall, I don't even think it was a year ago when we're talking about, wow, look at the Boston Celtics. This is the team to beat. They're easily going to be the Eastern Conference champions. And I don't see how any team's going to be able to beat the Boston Celtics for the next three, four years. Now look at them. What happened to Boston? And Cleveland, even though I was not happy with the fact that they passed on Culver, <sighs> I'm not going to say that Darius Garland was a reach at five. I mean, he's played only five college games due to injury. I mean, if you look at him, he does have all the physical traits to help a rebuilding team. Though it does seem teaming Garland up with last year's first-round pick, Carlin Sexton, might be an issue because both these guys are ball-dominant guards. <laughs> So I don't know how these guys are going to work on the court together. But despite this, overall, I like the Cavs draft class. They were able to pick up a sharpshooting small school product in uh, Dylan Widler, the number 26 pick. He averaged 21.3 points and 10.8 rebounds, shooting 43% from the field last year. And then the Cavs traded four second-round picks to Milwaukee. Wow, four second-round picks for Kevin Porter Jr., with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He was projected to be a top 15 pick despite injury and off-court issues at USC last season. So not a bad haul for Kobe Altman and company there at Cleveland. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, poor Bull Bull. I thought he was going to end up at Golden State when he was ready. He was considered a top five talent coming into the draft back in the day. But he had those leg injuries, and then the maturity issues plagued him. But man, he's seven foot two. How can you pass on a guy who's seven foot two? Despite this, Oregon, you know, the Oregon product was expected to go somewhere within the top twenty picks, and he fell out of the first round. You know, more injury. Maybe I think the reason Golden State passed on him was the fact that Thompson's hurt, Kevin Durant's hurt. They already got enough injuries they're dealing with. And from what I'm reading now online here, it says his medicals are not good. So I guess the feedback on those medicals wasn't great either. So he did fall. He fell uh, to the Miami Heat to Denver with the 45th pick in the draft. Uh, Miami got that pick from Denver. So he he did average 21 points and 9.6 rebounds and very limited action for the Ducks last season. So when he's on the court, he's dominant. And he's seven foot two. Did I mention that? (laughs) So if this guy is healthy... Uh, and if he plays with a chip on his shoulder too for not going in the first round, Bull Bull might be the steal of the draft. Seven foot two, big center, playing with a chip on his shoulder. Look out! And then the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could question Atlanta's decision to move up from eighth spot to number four, but it's DeAndre Hunter. On the surface, it might seem to be a little bit of an overpay until you realize how good of a fit DeAndre Hunter is for this team and this young Hawks squad. And it was made even better for the fact that Atlanta didn't have to give up the number 10 pick to move up. And with the 10th selection, they grabbed another top five talent in Duke standout Cam Reddish. And if Reddish ever shows that consistency, that dude's going to be a star on the backcourt with Trey Young. And you add in John Collins and Kevin Herter, 
this is a very, very tremendous young core that the Atlanta Hawks are going to build around. Very nice. And then uh, the Wizards. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the Wizards. <laughs> they, they've reached, I think. Washington reached for a low-ceiling player with a, within the top 10. Uh, I'm not going to say that this kid is going to fail. I, he's uh, right, what's, How do you say Rui Hachimura? But he was, he's projected to go anywhere between 15 and 25. And Washington should be in full-scale rebuild mode. I, I don't know. And so they should be adding assets and young guys and, you know, by trading Bradley Beal. But it looks like they're still going to try to keep building around. So I don't know. That's what Washington's doing. So that's my recap of the NBA draft. I like what Cleveland did. They're building young. I love what the Atlanta Hawks did. And for the win now, Minnesota Timberwolves, beautiful, beautiful move by trading up right there. All right. So what we'll do is we'll take our final break, and then we'll come back, and I want to talk some baseball. And, we know, the Major League Baseball trade deadline is at the end of July. Rosters are going to be set as of far as July 31st. There's not going to be no waiver wire deadlines this year, new Major League Baseball rules. So we're going to talk some trades, but I want to talk about trades that were never consummated, trades that never happened, big-time players that could have been over the move on the move to other teams, and it just didn't pan out for one reason or another. I thought that would be a fun little topic to discuss today. So we'll do that, and if you have any guys that you thought, man, remember when this deal almost went down and fell through? I want to hear about it, 206-1070 or 800-668-1070 if you're listening on your iHeartRadio app. It's the Larry Tipco Show on 1070 The Zone, where Charlotte County comes to play. Where Charlotte County comes to play, and you're home for NASCAR. Truex goes sideways. Logano gets by. Logano gets the win. Miami, baby. Yes. Joey Logano is definitely going to play in Miami. Hell yes. Miami. Let's go. 1070, the zone. Growing up in a small town, the 4th of July parade was always a big deal, and my dad would always make us, if there was men and women in uniform there, go over and shake their hands or say thank you, because, you know, without their sacrifices, we wouldn't have what we have today. This message sponsored by... DeSoto Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ford Ram in Arcadia is blowing the lid off prices. DeSoto Auto Mall is blasting down prices across all makes and models. DeSoto Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ford Ram in Arcadia, where it's always cheaper in the country. Kyle Larson giving it everything he has. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Trying to run down Kyle Busch. The summer of NASCAR thrills comes to the Windy City. Kyle Busch nearly gets into Ricky's penthouse, Jr. Where racing can turn to raging. This is not over yet. The problem is Larson now is stuck in traffic. The Camping World 400 from Chicagoland. And Kyle Busch will try to get away. Sunday at 2 on the Motor Racing Network. Brought to you by AAA Schwartz Roofing right here on 1070 The Zone. We're sharp. Charlotte County comes to play. Miami Marlins rookie pitcher Jordan Yamamoto has now had three starts in his career, and he's won all three for the Marlins. Garrett Cooper and Brian Anderson hit consecutive home runs, and Miami beat Philadelphia 6-4 to yesterday for the Phillies' seventh straight loss. JT Riddle hit a home run and doubled in the win for Miami, which swept three games in Philly for the first time since August of 2009. Miami's now won 7-11 of to improve to 31-46. and this after opening the season by losing 15 of their first 19. 
Up next for the Marlins, after a day off today, they open up a six-game homestand against the Nationals Tuesday with Trevor Richards going up against Nationals' Max Scherzer. Taco Fall, the seven-foot-six center from UCF, will sign an Exhibit 10 contract with the Boston Celtics. Exhibit 10 contracts are one-year deals paying the minimum salary. They also can be used for two-way contracts. Tampa Bay product and New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso hit his 27th home run of the season yesterday. That sets the franchise rookie record. Alonso's homer in the top of the fourth inning gave him the rookie record over Daryl Strawberry. Travis Darno drove in three runs and hit a two-run home run. Austin Meadows hit a three-run double, and the Rays beat the A's 8-2 yesterday for a split of the four-game series. Ryan Yarbrough followed Tampa Bay's opener to pitch six strong innings. He allowed one run on five hits and struck out three. Tampa Bay placed Diego Castillo on the 10-day injured list with inflammation in his pitching shoulder. The Rays recalled Hunter Wood from AAA Durham. Up next, after a day off, Blake Snell will start for the Rays at Minnesota Tuesday night, coming off the shortest outing of his career. That's your Florida Sports. I'm Aaron Jacobson. Where Charlotte County comes to play, 1070 The Zone. Welcome back to the Larry Timko Show on 1070 The Zone, where Charlotte County comes to play. Phone lines are open, 941-206-1070. If you're listening on your iHeartRadio app, online at 1070thezone.com, 800-668-1070. We'll get you through. Got a call from a Fort Myers Miracle fan wanting me to rhyme, but wanted to remind me that Wander Franco is making his debut for the Charlotte Stone Crabs tomorrow. The number one prospect in Major League Baseball, Wander Franco, got the promotion, and he will be starting tomorrow night for the Charlotte Stone Crabs. And we were supposed to have John Vitas, the voice of the Stone Crabs, in studio with us tomorrow. And I'm sure he'll be discussing that. And he's going to see, we're not sure, can't confirm it yet, but we might have a Stone Crab player or two in studio with us tomorrow as well. We're working on that. Anyway, I wanted to talk about Major League Baseball trades, and we always talk about the trades that happened and how they affected the team, but what about the trades that fell through? And that's what I want to discuss right now, because there are a lot of trades that could have happened over the course of baseball that just never happened. Uh, one of them is simple. Let's start, let's start off the top with the Blue Jays. Remember Jose Bautista? Easily the star of Toronto back in 2013. He was a six-time All-Star, led the league in home runs twice, So word that the Blue Jays wanted to drop him in 2013 kind of rocked the fan base. This deal would have sent Jose Bautista to the Phillies for rookie Dominic Brown. Now, probably the reason it never went through was the sheer outrage of the Toronto Blue Jays fans for letting Jose Bautista go. So he ended up hanging on with the team for a few more years before Toronto just finally cut him, let him go on waivers. And the fans were happier him being put on waivers, then just trade it off, which is weird. But had this deal gone through, it would have prevented the trade that ended up helping the Royals much better down the road. See, Zach Greinke was a good pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, but he made it known that he was going to test free agency in 2012. So the Royals tried to get something back in return to him by offering him to the Nationals for names like Drew Storen, Danny Espinosa, and Jordan Zimmerman. 
But Granke himself nixed the trade, didn't want to go to Washington. So instead, he went to the Milwaukee Brewers for Lorenzo Cain and Alcides Escobar, a move many cite as the key to the Royals becoming 2015 world champions, adding Cain and Escobar at shortstop. And amazing to think how Grenke's disdain of Washington caused such a shift because, think about it, Jordan Zimmerman ended up with the Tigers, Drew Storen still stayed with the Nationals, and Danny Espinosa really never amounted to anything. Another trade that never happened, but wow, what a strange twist if it did. Derek Jeter to the Montreal Expos. Yes, even by the Expo standards, this one's got to hurt a little bit. 1999, Derek Jeter was proven to proven to everybody that he's a true star, having just won his third World Series with the Yankees and playing some really good, solid shortstop. Well, Montreal Expos owner Jeffrey Laura became obsessed with getting Derek Jeter, even telling general manager Jim Beattie to do whatever it took. And that included trading Vladimir Guerrero and a big wad of cash. However, no matter how enticing that was, the Yankees were smart enough to know Jeter was the best move. So it's probably a good thing the Expos didn't have to deal with Jed Lurie (laughs) or else, whatever. Jeter would have lost out on a couple more World Series titles, too, and probably a few MVP awards, too. So Derek Jeter, the Montreal Expos, could have happened but never did. Ken Griffey Jr., remember when he was at the Mariners, ended up getting traded to the Cincinnati Reds because, you know, that was his father's team, you know, wanted to be part of the legacy. Well, how about Ken Griffey Jr. to the New York Mets? While he never got a World Series win, Ken Griffey Jr. is easily recognized as one of the best sluggers of his time. Led the league in homers three straight seasons, 13-time All-Star, seven-time Silver Slugger Award, 10 Golden Gloves, and, of course, Hall of Fame. But in 1999, the Mets we're making a big move to get Ken Griffey Jr. and other players like Armando Benitez, Jay Payton, Octavio Dotel, and Roger Cedeno were all mentioned to go in this trade. Uh, it seemed ready to go, but within 15 minutes, Griffey decided he didn't want to go to New York. Uh, so, wow, could you imagine Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza back-to-back? That would have been a solid lineup. But Jay Payton, Octavio Dotel, Roger Cedeno, and Armando Benitez would have went to Seattle for Ken Griffey Jr. But it didn't happen. Hmm. How about Manny Ramirez to the Mets? Man, the Mets were always trying to get players. Uh, Manny Ramirez, you know, Boston Red Sox, uh, helped break the curse in 2004. Did play for several teams in his career, but it was Boston where Manny Ramirez shined, winning two World Series and very popular in the locker room. Yet, This could have been a deal. Right after Ramirez became the 2004 World Series MVP, the Mets began making offers. They even tried to get the Tampa Bay Rays to chime in with a three-team deal. And if it happened, it would involve giving Boston Mike Cameron and lasting millage. But the stumbling block was picking up the remainder of Manny Ramirez's $64 million contract. In the end, the deal never came off, so Manny stayed in Boston a few more years. Oh, wow. And then Carlos Beltran for Kevin Euclid. How about that? The AL Rookie of the Year, Carlos Beltran, had been very impressive with the Kansas City Royals, but he was headed to free agency at the end of 2004. Remember, he ended up going to the Houston Astros. <laughs> uh, the Royals wanted to move him but for, for someone else before he left, you know, get some players back in return. Uh, they reached out to the Boston Red Sox, and a deal was actually made for Kevin Euclid along with catcher Kelly Shopik. Uh, It went right down to the wire, but instead, the Royals traded Beltran to the Houston Astros. Uh, Wow. And helping the Astros, uh, let's see that. I remember he hit like seven home runs in that postseason. It was a great postseason for Carlos Beltran. 
But man, could you imagine if he would have been with the Boston Red Sox? Hmm. And then there was a straight up trade that never happened. Ted Lilly for Ryan Howard. You know, you know, Phillies fans actually should send thank you notes to JP Riccardi, the general manager for this one, because it was early 2005. Uh, Blue Jays were given an offer from Philadelphia to send over rookie first baseman Ryan Howard in exchange for Ted Lilly. Uh, but R- Riccardi refused, saying that Lilly signed for another year and they weren't confident that he'd stay longer and become a cornerstone for this young team. They are afraid he's going to leave in free agency. And remember, Ryan Howard soon became the regular first baseman for the Phillies, known as the big piece. Uh, he, <laughs> he became nationally rookie of the year, won 2006 MVP, twice led Major League Baseball in home runs, and led the Phillies to the 2008 World Series championship over our Tampa Bay Rays before retiring in 2016. And they were going to flip him for Ted Lilly. <laughs> wow. Oh, here's another good straight-up trade I thought was crazy, too. Tim Raines for Tom Glavin. Seven-time All-Star Tim Rock Raines, known for his long career as a Montreal leadoff hitter. Uh, two World Series wins with the Yankees, but in 1990... Montreal was worried that Tim Raines was on the downside of his career, and they actually worked out a trade with the Atlanta Braves in 1990 that would have sent Tim Raines to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for a young pitcher named Tom Glavin. It fell through at the last minute, and instead, Tim Raines was sent to the Chicago White Sox. How about that? And, of course, Tom Glavin, part of the trio that helped lead the Atlanta Braves to all those NL championships. Crazy. Another trade that could have happened, Justin Verlander and Curtis Granderson to the Marlins. Yeah, in 2005, remember Dontrell Willis had this great year going 22-10 and 10 with a 2.63 ERA. Tigers became convinced he could be the solution for their pitching woes. So they made this huge offer of Justin Verlander and Curtis Granderson. Uh, in the end, the Marlins decided to keep Dontrell Willis thinking he was going to be their star. Instead, Willis never came close to that great 2005 season, and the Marlins were trying in vain to unload him the next year, and they did end up doing it, trading a Miguel Cabrera to, and him to the Tigers instead. So, And Granderson was able to continue his career as a three-time All-Star. Verlander, of course, led the AL in strikeouts four times, MVP, Cy Young Award winner, won the World Series with the Astros. But, wow, that was a deal that could have happened. Another deal that fell through with the Blue Jays was David Wright. That's right, Toronto again. They man, uh, it, it's a JP Riccardi specialized in huge deals that could have brought major success to their teams, only to call them off for the dumbest reasons at the last moment. And one of the worst was in 2002 when the Mets offered to hand over David Wright in exchange for Jose Cruz Jr. Yeah, Riccardi kept Cruz despite his poor batting uh, and, and famously bad mouthing Wright's potential as someone from the Sally League. Remember that? God. Cruz was gone after 2003. Meanwhile, Wright went on to become a seven-time All-Star and Mets captain. No wonder why Toronto Blue Jays hate JP so much. <laughs> of course, David Wright's back thwarted any hopes for him to uh, continue his career, unfortunately. Injuries. Uh, Miguel Cabrera could have been an L.A. Angel. Another one for the Marlins. Miguel Cabrera, part of the Marlins' 2003 World Series championship team. Still a good player, but he was headed for free agency in 2007. So, of course, the Marlins approached the Angels with the idea of trading Miguel Cabrera as part of a huge multiplayer trade that it could have brought any number of Angels to Florida. But instead, the Marlins insisted that Cabrera's $7 million salary be part of the deal. And the Angels like, we're not paying $7 million. So the Tigers 
They were like, okay, we'll take them. So the Tigers took a chance, opened up their wallets, got Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Wellis for a bunch of players. Yeah, and it was worth it. Two-time LEL MVP, won the Triple Crown, keeping the Tigers in contention. Uh, this next one that fell through, uh, ESPN did a 30 for 30 documentary about it. <laughs> Alex Rodriguez to the Red Sox in 2003. Red Sox hurting after a heartbreaking loss in the American League Championship Series. They needed to shift things up, and they worked on a huge trade with the Rangers. The idea was to send Manu Ramirez and John Lester to the Rangers in exchange for Alex Rodriguez. And they also had a side deal that included the White Sox, but Rodriguez was the key to it all. He actually agreed to lose almost $30 million in this deal. But the Players Association stepped up and said, nope, they vetoed the deal, said there's no way a player is going to take on a $30 million loss. So as everyone knows, the Yankees ended up trading to get A-Rod. Of course, the Red Sox ended up winning the World Series the next year anyway, so it ended up working out well for them. But it's still notable how close Alex Rodriguez came to going to Beantown. Another one that I, my son actually did a YouTube video about. Mariano Rivera almost a, was almost a Seattle Mariner. Yeah, during his tenure with the Yankees, Mario, Ron, Mario Ra, Rivera could have been traded almost five different times. Isn't that crazy? But the biggest was in 1996. It was his second year in the majors. Wasn't exactly showing off any real skill. Uh, there was a lot of injuries abound. So George Steinbrenner worked out a deal to send Mariano Rivera to Seattle for veteran shortstop Felix Fermin. <laughs> Where they had Derek Jeter ready to go. Thankfully, others in management were able to talk Steinbrenner out of this. I mean, Fermin would be gone after the season while Rivera would turn into one of the best closers in baseball. Five World Series championships and the MVP of the 1999 series. Uh, so, good thing George was able to listen. <laughs> uh, Pedro Martinez was almost traded to the Cleveland Indians for Jared Wright and Bartolo Colon. Yeah, the Indians could have gotten a World Series, too, if this deal had gone through. Uh, in 1997, they were uh, gearing up after losing the series to the Marlins, and they wanted to spark things up. So, they agreed to a deal with the Montreal Expos to trade Jared Wright and Bartolo Colon for National League Cy Young winner Pedro Martinez. Uh, it fell apart at the last minute, and then Cleveland slumped in the 2000s. Meanwhile, the Red Sox managed to get Martinez years later to be part of their 2004 World Series championship. So just wanted to remind Indians fans of that. Also, Randy Johnson could have been a Toronto Blue Jay. How about that? I mean, several teams missed the boat on Randy Johnson. The Expos traded him before he took off. Seattle gave him to Houston, and the Astros let him go after just one season. That paved the way for Johnson going to Arizona to help win the World Series. But back in 1993, the Blue Jays were trying to bounce back from uh, a World Series. Remember, they won back-to-back World Series. So they were hoping to get Johnson from Seattle. However, GM Woody Woodward was golfing, and he couldn't be contacted before the trade deadline was up. So Toronto missed the chance to get a future Hall of Fame pitcher. How crazy is that? And Albert Pujols could also have been a Montreal Expo as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some complaints over Albert Pujols being worth his high contract with the Angels, but in his prime, he was a fantastic three-time MVP for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, yet that almost didn't happen, because in December of 2000, the Cardinals traded third baseman Fernando Tatis and reliever Brett Reams to Montreal for Dustin Hermanson and Steve Klein. Originally, according to reports, 
The Expos came close to taking Pujols instead of Fernando Tatis Jr., but they decided to go with the more experienced player. Remember, Fernando Tatis, the year before, had two grand slams in one inning. He was also jacking 30-plus home runs, hitting behind Mark McGuire. <laughs> so, yeah, he was hitting the ball well. So they thought they were getting this thud, third, this thud power-hitting third baseman to go along with a young pitcher. Uh, instead, they took so they took him instead of Albert Pujols, and Albert Pujols ended up <laughs> Rookie of the Year and whatnot. So that was another deal, Expos. And Alex Rios almost got traded for Tim Lincecum. Yeah, back in 2007. This could have changed the outcome for a couple of different teams. I mean, Alex Rios was a good player for the Toronto Blue Jays, but they weren't quite sure if he was worth keeping, so they started approaching the Giants to trade him for a rookie pitcher named Tim Lincecum. <laughs> Ironically, Giants fans thought Rios was the guy to get, and they were begging for this trade to go down, uh, but it never happened. And re- Instead, Rios spent time with the Blue Jays and then the White Sox before winning a World Series with the Royals. Meanwhile, Lincecum became an ace for the Blue Jays, win- or for the San Francisco Giants, winning two Cy Young Awards. Also led the league in strikeouts three times, too, through two no-hitters. <laughs> nice. And won three World Series championships. So Tim Lentz again for Alex Rios. I think that worked out for the Giants. And then Barry Bonds almost was traded to the Atlanta Braves. One of the dumbest moves of the Pirates was letting Barry Bonds go for nothing. <laughs> the slugger was the key reason why the Pirates won three straight division titles. But he made noise about wanting a bigger contract, and Pittsburgh would not pay up. Go figure. Here we are. Decades later, and Pittsburgh still doesn't pay his players. So we knew he wanted out. They knew he wanted out. you know. And there were plans to send Barry Bonds to the Atlanta Braves for Alejandro Pena, Keith Mitchell, and a player to be named later. However, manager Jim Leland was outraged by the idea of Barry Bonds being traded, and he called the whole thing off. And Bonds was allowed to play out his contract and then leave as a free agent to San Francisco. And Pittsburgh got nothing back in return for it. Uh, do I have time for a couple more? I do. Oh, George Brett was almost traded to the Cincinnati Reds for Tony Perez. How about that? The idea of George Brett in anything but a Kansas City Royals uniform is hard to imagine, but Brett was easily one of the most popular players in team history. 13-time All-Star, AL MVP, part of the Royals' 85 World Series team. However, according to what George Brett said in 1974 in his second year, the Royals were considering trading him to the Cincinnati Reds straight up in exchange for Tony Perez. Yeah, at the time, the Reds were the big red machine. They were dominating the National League, and any player for them was worth grabbing. It did fall through at the last minute because the Reds decided to hold off on breaking up the big red machine. And I think it worked out for both teams in the end. Kansas City got their all-star. And then uh, I got one more on my list. Ted Williams was almost traded straight up to the New York Yankees for Joe DiMaggio. Now, had this happened... The entire course of baseball history would have probably been changed. But in 1947, the Yankees were coming off another World Series win while the Red Sox had just missed out on the pennant. Meeting at a bar, Yankees owner Dan Topping and Red Sox owner Tom Yawkey got into talking and agreed in principle to send Joe DiMaggio to Boston for Ted Williams straight up. The idea of the two biggest stars at the time swapping teams would have rocketed the baseball world. It never happened. Because in the morning, each man slept on it enough to realize that their fan bases would have been outraged over this thing, and they called it off. Although supposedly, though, Boston asked for Yogi Berra in this trade to say, too. Meanwhile, though, needless to say, uh, the effects would have been massive. DiMaggio, it's easy to imagine the Red Sox winning the World Series a couple of times and the curse ending 55 years earlier with Joe DiMaggio on the team. On the other hand, Ted Williams could have kept the Yankees powered up, I mean, slugging his way to keep it still a dynasty. Either way. 
I think it's astounding to me how close that these two rivalry teams that hate each other so much almost swapped major, major stars. So those were just a, some trades that almost happened that never did happen. It just, it, I, I think that I find that fascinating. I'm sure there's a million more stories out there that we didn't even touch upon that I would love to know about. But there's going to be some trades that are going to be happening here soon. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is still a month away. But you look at the standings now. Toronto Blue Jays 20 and a half games out behind the Yankees. The Orioles 27 and a half games out. They're going to be sellers. We know the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees are all contenders. They're going to be looking to make some trades. The Twins, Bill already speculated that uh, we're going to see Madison Bumgarner as a Minnesota Twin before it's all said and done, which I think is a great fit. But the Cleveland Indians are still in the thick of the wild card hunt. They're not going anywhere. But the White Sox, Tigers, and Royals, they could all be trading players away. Rangers, right now, I look at this Rangers, they're contenders in the wild card, so I can think they'll be looking for some starting pitching. Same thing with the Oakland A's, how they do it every year. They crept right back into the race, but here they are, 41-38 and 38 after a split series with the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't think they're going to catch the Houston Astros eight games out, but definitely a contender for the wild card. Angels and Mariners, not so much. I look over at the National League, Phillies have lost seven games in a row. Now six and a half games out behind the Atlanta Braves and only one game over 500. I think they're going to, at the deadline, I don't know if they're going to be buyers or sellers as of right now. As of right now, they're on the fringe. But the Nationals, I keep telling you, they're sellers. If somebody makes a big move for Scherzer, I would not be surprised to see that or even a Strasburg. And I look at the Tampa Bay Rays who have the assets to trade. I would love to see them make a move like that. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. But it's always fun to speculate. Anyway, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Don't forget, Ben Lindbergh will be calling in tomorrow. He wrote a new book along with Travis Sawchick called The MVP Machine, how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. And also, John Vitas will be joining us in studio as well, talking some Charlotte Stone Crabs baseball. No Tampa Bay Rays baseball. They are off today, but back in action tomorrow against the Minnesota Twins. Till then, if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the past year. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.